Well, hello, Christ Chapel, and hello to all of you joining us at the West Campus, South Campus, Converge, Hive, Internet Campus. So glad that you've chose to worship with us this weekend. Uh, if you are in Texas, I hope you're enjoying some cooler weather. Praise God. I mean, no amen on that one? Man, come on. Yeah. The, the, the suffering is over, hallelujah, and I'm so glad uh, for it. But I realize there are a lot of people moving into the DFW area who uh, don't know the weather patterns that go on. Uh, don't be surprised if it gets back into the 90s, uh, just so you know. But if you aren't from here, I'll give you a couple of tips. Is This cooler weather is delivered by severe storms. You should just know that. And so if you can get your car under some sort of covering, that's good because it often hails here in, in the DFW area, but also that causes tornadoes and you can get tornado warnings or watches. And so you need to know, this is just friendly Cody meteorologist because I have my degree in that, uh, you know, find an interior room in your abode, wherever you're living uh, away from windows and kind of hunker down to that storm uh, moves through. Uh, that storm front came through a, a few days ago. I hope none of you had any damage uh, done, but uh, you know, it, I try to get my family into uh, this, this safe place inside uh, the house. And uh, I read a, a, a quote, a dad said this, I thought this was really funny to me. He said, uh, one of the greatest joys of being a guy is putting the rest of your family in a safe place during storms and then staring out the window like you're gonna do something about it. <laughs> I thought, man, that is so true. You know, I feel so macho, like putting my family in there. I'm like, you guys just stay here. I'll go handle this storm, you know? And you go stare out the window. I don't know what I'm gonna do uh, about it, but it, it does make me feel like I, I'm doing something to protect my family, but as I, stare at that storm, I do have that sense of inadequacy. Like, Lord, if this thing comes, like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I don't have any power over this. And it leaves you in a very powerless, hopeless, uh, emotional state. And it made me think, you know, there has been a huge metaphorical storm that has swept through our world, really, and certainly our country that's come with a cold front, and that was COVID. That storm came through and delivered a cold front that's left us feeling cold, cold toward everything in our world. We hunker down for a bit and we don't know if it's safe to come out because every time we come out, it feels like there's another wave or something else that's coming along that causes us uncertainty or causes us anxiety that causes damage. And as we're constantly bombarded with this bad news for this past almost two years, you just wonder like, where do I go to find safety? Where do I go to a safe place? Cody, it's not as simple as going to an interior room in my home away from windows. And it leaves our hearts troubled. It leaves our hearts anxious, not knowing where to go, not knowing when this is going to pass through, if ever. Well, the good news is, is that we have a person that we can run to who actually watches over us and has power 
over those storms and can cause the winds and the waves to cease. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you will, open your Bibles to John chapter 14, please. John chapter 14, we're going to be in verses 1 through 11 as we continue our series called Poured Out, where we're studying uh, this upper room discourse, these last moments, the night before Jesus is crucified, that he spends with his disciples as he pours his heart into them. He wants them to embody his heart. And we've talked about we're starting with the end in mind. Uh, These are all the things that Jesus was trying to teach his disciples as he walked with them through their life that he wants them to therefore embody to the rest of the world, that they would represent him, be his ambassadors to the world. And the reason why we want to embody his heart is because we want to reach those in our own backyard who don't know Jesus by being his disciples. And so we're in week three of that. Remember week one, Jesus poured out his heart to his disciples through service and he served them by washing their feet. And right after he washes the disciples' feet, remember he says, hey, I'm gonna be betrayed and I'm gonna be crucified. And they say, who's gonna do it? And he says, the person that I give this bread to, here you go, Judas. And Judas goes out and he says, what you're going to do, which was betray Jesus, what you're going to do, do it quickly. And now the clock starts. The clock starts and his time with his disciples is limited. And the first thing that he tells his disciples after Judas has left the room is, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you should also love one another. And by this, the world will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. And that was our memory verse last week was John 13, 35. And so he tells them, I want you to love one another. That's the important message that he gives is we're supposed to love not the way that we want to or with our limits, but the way that he has loved us. That should epitomize our love for one another as we embody his heart. But that clock, as I told you, metaphorically started as he says, go and do it quickly. And he tells them to love one another. And then he tells Peter that Peter is going to deny him three times. So in this intimate group of disciples, three of them are about to, to, to be off the scene here for a bit. Judas, Jesus, and Peter. And so you can sense that this room of disciples feels unsettled. There's this wave of anxiety that's running into this room. And as this uncertainty begins to take root in all of the disciples' hearts, Jesus addresses that at the beginning of John chapter 14. And he says very simply, Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Now, let me go ahead and say this because you go, yeah, that's really easy to say. You know, just don't let your hearts be troubled. Thanks, Jesus. But don't let the irony be lost on you. Whose heart should be troubled right now? Jesus's. Jesus is the one who knows that he is going to be crucified. He knows he's about to be betrayed, knows that he's gonna be crucified, go through the most agonizing pain that anybody's ever experienced in the world, and yet he's the one that has the peace of mind to say to his disciples, don't be troubled. It's gonna be, it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be all right. 
And I wanna break down that phrase for you very quickly because it's gonna set up what we're gonna study today. That phrase, don't let your hearts be troubled, that verb is, is actually a present passive imperative. Now imperative just is a fancy way of saying command. Like do this, okay? So he's commanding them, don't let your hearts be troubled. But the, the passive means that, hey, there's going to be things that want to come in to trouble your heart. Don't let those things come into your heart. You see, some things that we forget oftentimes is we are responsible for our hearts. You are responsible for what you allow into your heart, what you allow your heart to dwell on. That's why it's in the passive uh, voice here. Don't let your heart be troubled. In Proverbs, it says, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. You see, guard it. Don't let those things come in that will trouble your heart. That's the imperative. But the present tense means that it's ongoing. Always in the present tense. Always having to guard your heart. Always having to make sure you're not letting it be troubled. Always making sure that your heart is dwelling on the right things. So that's what he's telling them here. Don't let your hearts be troubled, or another way to say it. Don't allow it. Stop being troubled or stop being unsettled, agitated, or confused. It's going to be okay. You know, there's a phrase that I found myself using uh, the past couple years uh, as just talking with different people through different scenarios. And it's very short, but I say, it's not okay, but it will be okay. It's not okay now, but it will be okay. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples right now. I know you feel troubled, and I don't want you to be troubled. It's, it's not okay right now. But don't let your hearts be troubled, because it will be okay. And it will be okay because we have a person who's going to take the lead, who has a plan, who has the power to see that plan through and who promises us that he will see us through that storm. And that's what I want to walk you through today as we walk through these 11 verses and find ourselves on the path to peace, this path to peace where we don't want our hearts to be troubled. And it begins and ends with Jesus. See, the path to peace begins with Jesus having a sovereign plan for you and his disciples. It starts with him having a plan. You know, one of the things that I think has driven people crazy these, these past uh, few months is just the uncertainty of everything. Like we, we, we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know how long, uh, you know, the, the shelter in place orders were gonna last. We didn't know when we were gonna go back to work we didn't know what the next week was like. And it seemed like every day we were like, this is crazy. You know, we would say facetiously, you know what would be really crazy is if this happened. That's never gonna happen. And then the next day that happened. It was this uncertainty. We didn't know the plan or the path forward. And Jesus, in not wanting his disciples' hearts to be troubled, he says, listen, I've got a plan Look at verses one to three. 
He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Better way to translate this is, you believe in God, don't you? Well, then believe also in me. Don't miss through these 11 verses. I'm not gonna highlight it, so I'm gonna highlight it now. The connection between Jesus and the Father, they are one. They, they, they are the same. We believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And what the Father says, Jesus says. What Jesus says, the Father says. What Jesus does, the Father has commanded him to do. They are in sync and on the same page. Jesus is divine. That's what he's saying here. You say you have faith in God. Well, have faith in me because I am God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm gonna go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So he tells them, I am about to depart, but don't worry, I have a plan. And my plan is to go and prepare a place for you and where I'm going, I'm gonna come back so that I can take you there. Now, where is that place that he's going to prepare a place for us? He's not talking about heaven here. He's talking about he is going to the cross to pay for the sins of the world, for your sins, for my sins, for the disciples' sins. That's how he prepared a place for us in the Father's house. Without that reconciliation, the payment for our sins, we would never have a pathway to a holy God. So when he says, I go to prepare a place for you, he's going to the cross the next day. That's what he's talking about. You see, Jesus isn't going to build a celestial subdivision. He is going to pave a way for you and me to have an opportunity to be made right with the holy God. And he says that by doing that, to prepare that place, the preparation is the cross, there is death, burial, and resurrection, that we can now have a place and a plan to dwell with the Father forever. And that's why he says, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. Now, what does that look like? I know the old KJV translated it mansions. I don't think that's the best translation. We don't all get our own mansion the, the picture that is there is in the ancient Middle East, a family would have a home that would usually have some sort of courtyard. And when a couple would get married, the father would build a room, an adjoining room onto the house. And so as the family grew, the house grew. And so he's saying, hey, when I go to the cross to pay for your sins, my payment is sufficient. And so in my father's house, there's many rooms. In fact, probably a better translation of it is, there's room for everyone. Anyone who wants to be with the father, that's what my preparation is going to do for them is to make them a place if they want to be with him forever. That's what he's saying. In my father's house, there's room for everybody and I'm going to go and prepare a place. That's his plan. I am going to prepare a place for you. And here's why that's important that Jesus shares his plan with his disciples is because his disciples have a completely different plan. Remember what the disciples' plan is. You know, you have to go back to John chapter 12 
And that's right before we started this upper room discourse in John chapter 13. In John chapter 12, Jesus is coming into the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of Passover. And in John chapter 12, remember when Jesus is coming into the city, he's riding on this colt and the crowd is saying, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. This is the king of Israel. Our king has arrived and praise God. And so as the crowds sing these these songs and, and say these chants and exalt Jesus, what are the disciples thinking? Woohoo! Like we've got big plans going. I mean, this is like a, a Super Bowl parade party, you know? Like we're about to win the championship here. We are going to rule and reign. So now it makes sense to you why even the past two weeks we talked about in Luke chapter 22, the disciples around the table are arguing over who's gonna be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Why are they arguing about that? Because in John chapter 12, when they come into the city, they're saying Jesus is the king and he's here. He's gonna establish the kingdom. That's our plan. Feast for everyone. And Jesus goes, that's not the plan. I got a different plan. And they knew that the plan was changing when he said, I'm actually gonna be crucified. What? Our plan is falling apart and it's falling apart quickly. Many of you probably feel the same way. Maybe not today, but you felt that way over the past few months where the plan that you had has fallen apart and you don't know the plan forward and today you might not even have an idea what that plan forward looks like. The way that we find our path to peace is understanding that Jesus has a plan but we have to put our plan into God's hands through prayer. Put your plan into God's hands through prayer. You know, as I said, one of the things that I think caused people and still causes us a lot of anxiety is when our plan begins to fall apart. And when our plan begins to fall apart, we work even harder to hold things together and to come up with a different plan and work that different plan. And sometimes that doesn't work. And that's why we need to say, you know what? My plan is falling through, God, and that's okay because I know you have a plan for me. And we need to put our plan into his hands through prayer. It reminded me of the the verse that Paul talks about in Philippians chapter four. And I wanna read this slowly because this is about prayer and submitting ourselves to a God who has a plan. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone. Hold on. Has people's reasonableness or gentleness been evident to everyone these days? I don't know if that's the first adjective I would use of folks. But we can be reasonable and we can be gentle toward everyone if we're rejoicing in a Lord always who we know has a plan. He says, rejoice because the Lord is at hand, or the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Sounds a lot like don't let your hearts be troubled. 
but in everything by prayer and supplication or telling the Lord what you need, but with thanksgiving, thanking him that he knows best, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, doesn't make any sense why I feel peace about this after I put my plan into his hands, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, that's that passive part. Remember how we talked about the the passive, the present passive imperative in John 14? This, when we put our plan into his heart, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard, marches, stands guard over our hearts and minds in whom? Did you read the same verse I did? In whom? Christ Jesus. It's in him. He's the one who's guarding our hearts because he's the one who's guarding the plan. He has the plan for us and we need to continue when our plans fall apart to put our plans into his hands through prayer. And the second path, uh, second step on the pathway to peace is through Jesus' perfect provision for you. You know, what I love about this, what he's about to go into is that Jesus doesn't only have a plan He can actually carry it through. He actually has the power to see it through. In verses four to six, he says, and guess what? You know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, this path to peace isn't just through Jesus' plan, but it's through him. It's through his power to see the plan through. And we know that when he died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead to show that that payment was sufficient to a holy God, that he paved our path to a holy God. And guess what? He is the only way. And this is where people get all tripped up because this shows and proves the exclusivity of Christ. There is only one way to be made right with the Father, and it's through Jesus. In in the Greek, there's a definite article that comes before every one of those nouns. He is the way. The truth, the life. There's not, it's not a. He's not a way. He's not a truth. He's not a life. He is the one and only. And that's what, that's, that's our message. That, that's our hearts is that people would know how can they be made right? How can they have peace with God and not be under his wrath and condemnation because of their own sin? It's through Jesus the way and the truth and the life. All of that is embodied in him. Uh, Thomas Akempis, and this is at the bottom of your sermon notes, I love what he says. He says, without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing, and without the life, there is no living. You see, Jesus goes to prepare a place, and he has a plan, but he also pays for your room. He pays to reserve a room for you to be with the Father forever. 
It's been paid in full. See, it's been said before, and I love how, how this is said. The people who will be with the Father forever are the ones who want to be with him. I mean, it's, does, does your heart want to be with him? Do you, do you want to make a reservation? <laughs> do you want to say, that's where I want to be? You know, we, we make reservations for vacations, and you say, man, I can't wait to go here and I want to go there, and I want to see these people, and I want to do these things. And we look forward to that. That's how we look at being in the Father's house. We make the reservation, and we can't wait. And that's been paid in full. The path has been paved by Jesus and his provision for us. And that's what we look forward to. That's the plan, and he provides the perfect provision for that. But it's not just talking about heaven. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I also believe he's talking to the disciples about how they're supposed to live. He is the way, not only to heaven, but the way they're supposed to live. He's the truth by which they submit to. And he's the life. He's the one that provides the life that is abundant and everlasting. You see, if we want to find peace today, then make Jesus your authority for providing your way, your truth, and your life. Make Jesus your authority for providing your way, your truth, and your life. In John chapter 10, uh, Jesus contrasts the reason why he came and his plans for you and the enemy's plans for you. And he says in John chapter 10, 10, he says, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I don't really like that plan for my life. But Jesus says, but I have come that you may have life. And I think that means life eternally. And he says, life abundantly. That's today. I have, I have that's my plan for you. I came to give you life eternal, but life today. And the reason why we don't experience that life today is because we want to take a different way and we want to live by our own truth and we want to pursue life on our terms. And it doesn't make any sense then why we shake our fist at God and say, why is my plan not turning out the way I wanted it to? You see, you can't say, Jesus, uh, you're the way, but I'm going to follow my own way. And then we find ourselves in the dead end. And we go, what? Don't be surprised. Now, listen, I found myself there. I'm not trying to come down on you, but this is a great reminder for me that the authority for my way of life is Jesus. And that leads to abundant life. That leads to peace that leads to love, that leads to gentleness and kindness and all those fruits of the Spirit. Because if we're following in Jesus' way, then we're keeping in step with the Spirit. We can't say, uh, you know, I'm gonna live by my truth and what makes me feel good and I wanna believe this right now and then wonder why we don't experience the life that God has for us. And wonder why somebody else uses their truth and it runs up against us and we get hurt because Jesus is the absolute truth. It's not subjective truth. 
You see, if we want to experience the life that Jesus has for us and this, this peace so that our hearts aren't troubled, then he is the only firm thing we can stand on because he is the way, the truth, and the life. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter says, his divine power, that's God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. He has given us everything we need to experience the life that he wants us to experience, the abundant life in Christ. And so therefore, what we're gonna have to lean on is this path, to, uh, this path to peace that is illuminated by Jesus' sufficient promises for you. This pathway that's illuminated through Jesus' sufficient promises for you. You see, his word is authoritative, is absolute truth for us. And when Jesus' truth is authoritative to us, then we look to his promises to illuminate our path. As, as Psalm 119 says, the, his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. How do we know how to move forward? By his word. And his word is sufficient. Those promises are sufficient to us. And that's what I think he addresses in verses eight to 11. As he tells them, here's the plan. Here's the plan. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm the way and the truth and the life. Listen to what Philip says. Philip said to him, Lord, would you just show us the father? And then that will be enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Remember, they are one. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? And that the words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. See, there's a part where Philip says, okay, God, good plan, or Jesus, but they're the same. Jesus, good plan, but would you just prove yourself a little bit more to me? Can you just show me a little bit more? Just, just show us the Father, then that'll be enough. Then we don't need any other proof. Does this sound like anybody's prayer life other than mine? where we say, God, if you will just do a little bit more, then I'll believe you. If you'll just do a little bit more, then I'll have peace. If you just do a little bit more, then I'll be content, then I'll be satisfied with you. And all too often in my prayer life, I find myself calling God insufficient. And how kind and gracious he is to say, Cody, have I walked with you so long that you still don't know me? Little child. <laughs> Remember, he's speaking to them as little children, little, little child, little children. What I have done is sufficient. And he lists those things. His, his sinless character is sufficient. He's speaking as from the Father, so his words are authoritative. His works are sufficient. All three of those things he lists is proof to Philip, like, what more do I have to do? 
See, so often we come up with those if statements as well. If, God, if you just show me the Father, that'll be enough. And the problem when we do that is it is never enough. This week, go back, go back and read about Gideon in Judges chapter six. When Gideon wants to know what God's will is and so he puts out a fleece and God answers his prayer and then he goes, uh, actually, can we do that again? And then he goes back and puts out another fleece. And then that's, and there's, it's never sufficient enough because we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And we walk by faith in a God who has always fulfilled his promises. You see, if you wanna be on that pathway to peace that your heart wouldn't be troubled, then look at what God has done to give you peace as you look forward. Look back at what God has done to give you peace as you look forward. Go back to those promises. This is one of the reasons why we're asking you to journal through the book of John so that you can write down, God, here's what you're doing and here's what you've done and here's what I prayed for and here's how you've answered it so that we can look back on it and say, God, you are faithful. You are, you are here. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. And we need to be reminded of that. One of my favorite verses, you've heard me say this before, is Psalm 84, 11, that the Lord withholds no good thing from those who love him. And if the Lord hasn't given it to me, then it isn't his best. Because if he didn't withhold his son, why would he withhold anything else? I'm not willing to give up my son. Here's somebody that's willing to give up his one and only son for you. If he doesn't give it to you, it's not his best. And that's all we can go back to his promise. But he has promised us that he's gonna walk with us, that he's never gonna leave us nor forsake us, that he's gonna provide a, a way through, that he's gonna watch over us in the storm that's coming and coming and coming and seems unceasing. He's always going to keep watch. And the, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they're safe. Proverbs 18.10. That's where we run because we know that he has best in mind for us. And so we put our faith and hope in him and that's where we find peace. Not in our circumstances, not in our plans, not in us providing our own way, working our own way to heaven because you'll never get there. You see, this is why I take great peace in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse nine, where Paul says, but as it is written, and this is in Isaiah 64, four, he says, what no eye has seen, or no eye has seen, and nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. You see, maybe you're troubled today because your plan has fallen through, and you don't have a plan. When you make Jesus your way and your truth and your life, you have not seen and you haven't heard, nor could your heart even imagine what God has in store for you as you follow him. That should bring us great peace because his plans 
are better than anything that we can imagine. And I can tell you that from my own personal life, that God has done immeasurably more than I could ever ask or imagine. Ever. Ever. He is our way. He is our truth. He is our life. May we look for it nowhere outside of him. Amen? God, we thank you for your word that is a pathway to peace because it leads us to you. The one who shelters us amidst the storm. The one who provides a way for us to be made right with the holy God. The one who gives us not only life eternal but life abundantly. Lord God, forgive us when we seek our own way and end up in dead ends. Forgive us when we don't want to live authoritatively by, let your truth be authoritative in our life. Forgive us, Lord, when we seek our own life because you say that when we lose it for your sake, we actually find our lives. May we find our entire life in you. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.